Are you a creative? I think you are. And that's why you should join my circle community, the Creative Study Lounge. Listen, we all know how social media is right now with all the lying, the bots, the ads, the shadow banning, your posts not getting seen, the requests from people you don't know, the strange activities. Social media is a mess right now. So that's why I decided to create a community just for creatives where we can get down and talk about writing, video games, art, development, things in popular media, whatever we want, or just some nonsense. There's a place for it all. It's at the Creative Study Lounge. And while you're there, you can get the merch, send me questions, comments, ideas, and you can generally support the podcast. Check the links in the description. We'll be adding more as time goes along, but hey, it's a good thing. CreativeStudyLounge.com or check the links in the description. Once again, that's CreativeStudyLounge.com or check the links in the description. And you won't have to listen to this dumb advertisement. Now let's get on with the program. Hang around because I've got John Diaz, the awesome game designer, one of the younger bucks coming up, worked with him at Rockstar Games. He's been through Bungie. He's been to EA. He's done stuff with Amazon, came out of Full Sail. Dude's got a crazy history. Dude's got a badass work ethic. Just somebody I really wanted to talk to. So any game design stories, questions you have, make sure you bring it up, pop it in the comments. And by the way, if you've been on here before, make sure you throw in a comment, let us know what you're thinking about these, what you want to see more of, what you want to see less of, what's important to you about these and what makes them fun. Because as I said, this is an interactive and growing thing and you are a participant. You're a part of this whole process with me. You let me know, I talk with you, I let you know. I may go to your page and steal some of your ideas, but that's how it works in this internet game. We all learn from each other. That's how it is. M. Cuevas, FNA Online, J. Kingpin, Zeroed In, Yelling Jeff, good to have you all. Thank you for stopping by. We are about to get this thing rolling. We'll make this happen. I got my, I got my cup today. What's good, my man? Yo, can you hear me? Am I coming through? Yeah, I can hear you just fine. Definitely. All right. Yeah, we live. I'm That's live right. with Benja at BenjaCon. <laughs> oh. That's right, baby. Yeah. We don't give up. Ah, oh, that takes me back, man. That takes me back <laughs> to the golden era. That's right. That's right. By the way, it's 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 funny. I don't know if you caught before, but I started doing this whole BenjaCon thing because I was so used to the con season, meeting up with people, having different discussions. <laughs> Just minds rubbing elbows with different people. I even met Cliffy B at a Comic-Con, you know, ran into him in a hotel room. He was having an argument with somebody. And after the argument, we just kind of ran into him. He's like, hey, how's it going? Uh, sorry about that. It was like, <laughs> it was like all I bring you into that. Yeah, it was like all awkward, but it was like, no, nah, man, that's cool. I get it. Thanks happening. Stressful time at, a, at Comic-Con. I don't, what was he doing there? Uh, you're right. Epic Games had something going on and they were showing up at Comic-Con. I think he was connected somehow. I forgot the exact situation. Creatives, we're passionate, bro. We're passionate. Once you get us started on something, especially if it's our own art, you know, that goes right to the field. We got no armor for that. That's right, baby. And you are one of the passionate ones. That's why I definitely want to have you on. That's why I, why I wore my mean little cuss shirt today because it's all about the passion and the the grimy get down. So is that, it looks like Wolverine to me, but yeah, I call that, I call that the mean little cuss. That's my, oh yeah. I like it. And I got the high flyer up on the wall here. The web, the, the who, who that? High flyer. Okay. Okay. 
Yeah. You you got to school me. You got to school me. Have you been watching the Disney Plus shows? Yes. Oh, Falcon. That's your boy. Oh, man. These are these are my pop culture kind of representations. But this is what happens when I'm not going to conventions physically, man. Everything is virtual, right? There's only so much that can stick. <laughs> yeah, we got a... Uh... You got Ace WTF, that boy Javon, Lenny Love, Yellen Justin here. Oh my God, Just, yo, this is family right here. I got, I got like comadre right here. That's my, that's my, that's my goddaughter's mother. Oh, I got my cousin coming in from Orlando. I got Ace. What the fuck? Probably coming through from New York. I don't know if he moved, but dope that you guys are in here. Yeah, man. Hey, you know what? Right off, I want to get into that a little bit because. You, I, I looked at your profile page and saw, let me, let me go through this. NYC, got you. MCO, Orlando, got you. San, San Diego, got you. LA, well, we met, got you. We connected, yep. yeah. Yule, I had to look that one up. <laughs> Yo, Canada's airports have fucked up codes. If you don't know. <laughs> yes. So yeah, Yule looked you up, got you. Seattle, got you. There's one in there that I did get, ATX. You don't know about Austin, Texas? Okay. You know what's funny? I looked up ATX airport code, and the first thing it told me was Kazakhstan. Oh. Do, so, I, do I got it fucked up? I might have it fucked up then. <laughs> I might have it fucked up. I don't I don't know. I haven't I don't remember the Austin Austin code, but yeah. Okay. What, oh what, my gosh. What were you doing in Austin? Yo, so Austin, so keep in mind, you know, New York born and bred. Mm -hmm. then moved down to Orlando to do school thing, right? To, to full sale. Yes. I went, I went into the hyperbolic time chamber. That is full sale. I walked, I walked in, you know, not knowing a thing about game development and I came out ready to bust out some scripts, some levels, you know, and do the damn thing on some consoles. And, you know, when you got no experience in the game, I mean, you, you have a pretty, interesting route, right? Like you, you ended up in damn near Silicon Valley, but like for me coming at it from the East coast, there was nobody around that I knew of that was making games. Right. So I'm throwing out my application and applying left, right, up and down anywhere and everywhere. And the first place that bit came at me from Texas. Right. And so I'm an East coast kid. No idea what goes west of that, 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 what, what a different time zone even looks like, right? Yeah. They, they found me, it was Midway Austin, man. They found me in Orlando, you know, they were trying to get cheap talent and they got me and gave me my first shot, bro. And I kicked in the door and there was no turning back from there. You know what I'm saying? Like that, that was, and it's a big hub down there, right? I think it's grown since, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But. But Texas got a lot of deep, deep roots, right? Like Origin and it's out there too, right? It's in Dallas. Dallas, you know what okay. I'm saying? Yeah, Austin. What is damn it, man? They're gonna kill me for not remembering. It's like Origin Systems and the other one. Somebody gotta know, man. Jeff gotta know. Jeff right, Midway Blood. Yeah, somebody look up some game companies in uh, Austin. In, in Austin, nineties Austin games, man. Like Ultima. Whoever made Ultima, that's some of those. Okay. So you can see the comments too? Yeah, 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 yeah. Damn, this, this okay. IG Live thing is, is nice, man. I, I was on it watching some of the earlier days of the BenjaCon. Yo, what year is this, by the way? This is like the second annual BenjaCon? 
This is the second time I've done this live thing. Last okay. year I did it, I did it over Facebook just because I had more friends there and I I like Facebook more than Instagram. I still kind of do, but Instagram is good for this. So this year I was like, let me try and jump on and see what happens. But I've been having these types of sit down, discuss art design and development discussions for a while. And so that's why I was just so confident. Yeah, Benjacon, I'm going to get my people together and everybody comes through because they know the con vibe and how yeah. we get down. So, yeah, man. It, was, it wasn't until I got to the West Coast, man. It wasn't until I got to San Diego that I got to get into that world, right? Like, you don't get to live in San Diego too long before summertime rolls around and E3 comes out the woodwork and mm -hmm. everybody's taking off of work and be like, oh, peace, I'm gone this weekend. I'm like, what you mean? What's going on? I'm like, oh, we're going up to E3 in LA. It's like, I don't want to come to work. I don't want to go up to LA. I, I want yeah. to see what's popping up there. And they don't and schedule anything either. They don't schedule like any heavy work at that time. Like, mm, you know what? Let's not. It's, it's, it's opportune that way, for sure. Nobody wants to miss out, right? Things can happen from one day to the next. E3 is huge though, right? Like for anybody on the outside looking in, E3 was that one time where all the magazines back in the day, right? Like the EGMs, the Game Pros, the Game Informers, that's when they would get the scoop on all the new games coming out, right? Everything, well, whatever was in development, all the Nintendo announcements, Sony announcements, Sega announcements, all happened, at least, again, outside of looking in, it seemed to all happen at E3, that one time of the year in June, yeah. July. And I remember, man, I headed up there I think all you guys were already there the day before. I think my first one was, what, 2010. 2010 was my first E3, right? So turn of the decade, probably had, like, no facial hair at the time. And I'm going up there super starry-eyed, like, like a fan, bro, like a consumer. Like, yeah. I forgot I was a developer. You know what I'm saying? I'm rolling up in there just, like, in the... Is it... Did they happen at the L.A. Convention Center? Is that where it typically goes down? Yeah. And I'm out there, bro, and I, I super geeked out. I'm like screaming at the top of my lungs, like, I'm at E3, oh shit, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, and you got in some party action too, right? The the side events and the after parties. Oh man, I think, it, it, see, like th those are hazy, hazy memories, unfortunately for me, Benja. I, I wanted to go in and share some of my time and stories with you, but Living in California, man, I also was acquainted for the first time with medical grade plants. Oh, and, and yo, and that just kind of, it, it's taken a lot of special memories and put them in a little bubble for that time. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, yeah. so if there was no pictures, then it's hard for me to recall. But I, damn it, man, around that time, I just remember it, it was really the golden era of games. Like, I mean, I remember, so obviously it was a big year for us at the time, 2010, right? We had just released Red Dead Redemption. I love the end. Outlaws to the mother end. We all wore our shirts, our red and black, you know, so we're rolling out there like NWO Wolfpack style, rolling deep with the bloodshed on the shirt. We stood out everywhere we went. Some of us kept it underneath our clothes. Like we were straight up hiding our, our superhero costumes and shit. You know, we didn't want to yeah. get mobbed by press and fans. You know, we had to keep a low profile because yeah. the press kind of sniffs it out. You know, they're like, yeah, yeah. Ooh, Rockstar dead. I want the scoop. And you know, we yeah. don't say anything. We, so, we roll. 
totally. I, I I totally get what you're saying. Now, for everybody in, in the in the comments, uh, C Torres, Carter Comics, thank you. SM Islands, we'll get to you in a second, buddy. Oh, it was a uh, retro that Jeff was thinking about, not rare. Retro, retro was out there. All right. So, but for A3, the uh, just to give a little, just to give a little perspective for everybody. E3, a huge video game industry event. Everybody who's anybody is there. And at the, at the time, it was not open to the public, right? Red Dead or was it? Because it was just switching over around that period somewhere. You're right. You're right. I, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it was. It felt manageable. You know what I'm saying? Like it didn't yeah. feel like, or it was a certain day. I think they opened it to the general public like on the Sunday. You know, like Friday, Saturday, I think. We got to roll around and kind of breathe. You know, the lines yeah. were too crazy. We didn't have to wait around the block to get into a Nintendo showcase of something was, you know, slap hands and listen to Shigeru Miyamoto or something like that. Right, right. From what I recall. Yeah, and it had a it had a different vibe when you're dealing with just industry. Yeah. And the thing about it was, you know, Rockstar was kind of and still is kind of mysterious to people. You know, from the outside looking in, they're like, what are you guys doing? What are your you know, what's going on behind those closed doors. And, you know, they would release special products like those t-shirts and people would be like, oh, that dude's from Rockstar. Oh, he's got a Red Dead shirt on. I haven't been able to get much information on it. Yes. So now we're walking around with the with these shirts, the swag and everything and a special closed off booth that nobody could really access, you know, freely. And it's like, it, it gave, that's what gave it that kind of vibe. And I just wanted to kind of set that stage, but, for you yeah yeah it's true right like you know <laughs> picture walking around in the matrix and a bunch of agent smiths with their little like badges turned around so you can't tell that they're pressed right because normally you want to go up in there it's all family it's all fellow developers like yo show me what you're working on hey come over to my booth let me show you what we're working on right the the take two booth was pretty prominent at at the time i, I forget if it was like mafia one or Mafia 2 out there at the time, I want to say probably Mafia 1, but they decked it out, you know, a lot of, a lot of people dressed up, you know, makes you feel like you're in the game. Each little booth feels like its own little town, or own little city, you know what I'm saying? It's like yeah. Disneyland for adults kind of thing, or oh, for gamers. Let's just call it, you know, game consumers, right? I think now it's grown so much, you know what I'm saying? It's not just people playing games, it's people streaming, you got you got pro athletes. You know what I'm saying? You got yeah. athletes. It's it's a whole different world. So now that you you're you're at E3, you're kind of in the mix now. Now I want to take a moment to to back it up just a second and say, yeah. all right, because you, you've mentioned this in a, in a previous post. You said you know you're out there, you're living your dreams. How did you take your dreams from from your roots with you know being in, in Oh, and I saw the I saw the flag there too. You know, you got the you got the Dominican flag there, and uh, you also you also at one point posted up a, a yellow, blue, and red flag. I believe that's Ecuador. Okay. okay. In one of yeah. your in one of your uh, reels, you posted and it had the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so that's shout out. Probably that was shouting out the homie Juan Vaca who came onto the podcast, and so he rep. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. He, he reps those beautiful Latin American countries for sure. Yeah. For me, I mean, it's all, it's all family, you know, right, right. we all, we all brown people and mom and pop are 
immigrants from the Dominican Republic, right? So, so that's that's kind of as far back as I can trace my lineage, right? To okay. uh, and rice and beans and good old goat meat and bomb ass bachata and yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. And we can talk. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, oh, I totally forgot about that thing with the bachata, the merengue. All right. So you're doing your thing in NYC. Mm-hmm. At what point do you say, I'm doing this games thing and I'm going to make it happen? How does that spark transfer? Because it's still kind of an enigmatic thing to a lot of people. Yeah. How you make that jump. It doesn't make sense to a lot of people. But how'd you do it? 100%, right? You're playing these games. Or we're both avid gamers. We're consuming the hell out of these, right? I started from 8-bit NES days and moved on up, right? I still have all my console, you know, NES, Super Nintendo, N64, mm-hmm. all of those consuming the hell out of them. And again, going back to EGM and GamePro, this is what I knew, right? Whatever I was seeing on TV, right, was kind of hip-hop and, and basketball and Hollywood, right? So it's like, all right, this is, this is one outlet. You know what I'm saying? Of people rising to prominence, making money. There's uh, the white collar, you know, oh, you know, my mom's always telling me, oh, we want you to be a lawyer, an engineer, a doctor, right? Like, go make that money, right? We came, right. We, we, we snuck into the country so that you could have a better life than us, right? Whatever. And meanwhile, I'm here, eat, sleep, and breathe in video games, right? And comic books. And when I would read these interviews in magazines, all I would see are, you know, the Shigeru Miyamoto's, right? A lot of Japanese developers. There might have been, you know, there might have been a Romero or a Cliffy B or, or something like that. And and again, very unattainable to me, right? It's like, oh, but, but, in, but in, in hindsight, you know, it's like, oh, it takes one or two or three people to make a game to put this together. And little by little, I think there was two distinct moments, probably two or three. I remember getting my hands on GTA 3 for PC when they finally dropped it for PC and installing it on my old ass Pentium 1 or whatever, barely surviving off the RAM that it had. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yes. And and they had an instruction book, right? When games used to ship with an instruction book. And, you know, when you are fighting tooth for nail for any new toy or game, you consume the hell out of it from front to back. At least I did, right? I would buy the CD. I take the booklet, I read the song credits, I read everybody who's written, I, I look at the pictures, you know, and fuck, I consume the hell out, right? As if it's yeah. like so dear to me. So the same thing for games. And the Rockstar booklet, right? As you know, they put a lot of love into every, to, to like packaging their games. You know, it came with the, the um, I forgot what they called their virtual New York City. Liberty City? Liberty City, yes, thank yeah. you. They call it Liberty City, right? So it came with the map. And you know, to us, to people, so when I say us, I mean people living in New York, it looks straight up like a map of Manhattan and you got Staten Island down there, you got Queens, Brooklyn, and Bronx. So it's like, oh, okay, I like this little virtual portrayal they did. But in the back, they're like, yo, we're looking for testers. And I, I could swear I was like 15, 16 at the time. And I wrote a handwritten letter, I printed it out, signed it or whatever, you know. I don't know how I sold myself. I, I wish I could remember, but obviously this is probably along the lines of like, I love your games. I want to play your games, what I got to do. And they were in New York, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so this is the only physical entity in the city that I'm living in that can, right. really, uh, uh, can drop kind of the, the portal into that world. And so that's what kind of drove me to write that letter. Never heard anything back, whatever. 
Yeah, I'm in college, right, doing like, I don't know, three years into a computer engineering degree, struggling, right, balancing life and, and learning my way and finding myself. Learned that I really gravitated towards coding, mm-hmm. not so much the hardware aspect and the breadboarding and the physics of all that. Right. And again, turned to my, what, what, what seemed to feel like the universe is like, plan for Diaz, right? Like flipping through the EGM and in the back of that bad boy, there's an advertisement for full sale and they know how to market, right? You got, you got gamers, you got people playing games. They read these magazines. It's like, Hey, learn how to make games at this school. Tighten and, up the graphics on level three. Yo, is that, <laughs> is that, well, that you guys, and if it's somebody else. No, come on, bro. We full sale put people out that can actually do the thing. Uh, Who said is, it? is it wood? Is it evergreen? They're Westwood. It's like Westwood. That commercial is money, though. Like, yeah. Tell me, I mean, you see that commercial, and if you don't know what it takes to make a game, you're like, oh, shit, I'm going to call that 1 800 number. Like, yeah, yeah. Sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> Who has seen that, though? Like, if I was to come to you, you know, how, how, Let's say five years is the average time to put a game together. Okay. And you see these two white boys playing on the TV. It's like Grandma's Boy. It's the people who make Grandma's Boy. It looks the same way for anybody that needs a visual. Two kids playing on a controller. Some producer comes in, right? Or some producer-like figure in and tells them, good job, guys. Why don't you tighten up the graphics on level four? And they turn around, they look to each other, they're like, Oh my God, I can't believe we get to do this for work. Right. But they're like, yeah, yeah, exactly. the game, like, just not how you do it. It's, it's so fictional, but it's, it's classic. It works. Yeah. Okay. Okay. This, this is, this is why marketing, there's a big disconnect between marketing and like what actually happens because they are trying to just get eyeballs and get people to click and get people to read and get people to call the number. Yeah. It's rare that they understand what actually goes on into it. Yeah, I was at 3DO at the time when those things first started popping out, and we thought it was hilarious. And ironically, until I got to Rockstar, I didn't see any actual fruits of the uh, full sales. The uh, and I do want to make sure I make a distinction between full sale and like Westwood or DeVry. Yeah, full sales in another class, but they had a similar structure and you saw a lot of the commercials and a lot of people would get them confused, but for sure, for sure. Yeah. That's a good point, man. That's a good point. It's easy for me to, to say it was, it was on a different level cause I went through and yeah, DigiPen is another one, right? DigiPen mm-hmm. is kind of the West coast and full sale on the East coast. But now you got programs left, right and center, right? Every engineering or computer science school has a curriculum dedicated to this art so that we call game development, you know, cause yeah. it's what the kids want. It's what brings in bodies into the seats. It's what gets tuition dollars, you know? Yeah. So, okay. So you're at, you're doing your computer engineering in New York, but that's not yeah. ASL, is it? No, no. So I'm at a state school in, in Long Island, SUNY Stony Brook, and there is a jump that has to be made, right? To be like, flip the table, fuck this. I want to go to full sale. Luckily I had family down there and I get into the conversation with my parents who are like, what have you been doing at Stony Brook? You just want to up and transfer and all of a sudden make a shift. And 
it's that passion. It's it's just that gut feeling, right? Like it's yes. it's hard to describe, but it was this light bulb that went off that says, "This, I need to go check this out." And it's in a place that I'm familiar with. Again, my world map is just the East Coast. Yeah, right. Okay, so is this is this this passion this you know the spark to do this? Is that because of you know, you're still not seeing a connection with gaming and yeah. At, okay. Yeah. Th yeah. That was, that was me as well, but I never ended up getting to a full sale or a digipen or anything like that, but I know the disconnect. Okay. Yeah. I love, I love your route, right? Cause you just kind of ripped open some rendering books and started going from like getting 3d models and rendering them by hand, vertice by vertice, right? Like that. I like how you like I couldn't find books so so I'm I'm always amazed when people can like find a book correct because before YouTube and everything that's available online yeah this was the only source of information if you didn't have a physical mentor or uh somebody to apprentice underneath you know what I'm saying yeah I actually you know what I actually went to Florida State University I was not a student at Florida State University Mm -hmm. I went to Florida State University and my mother was a library fiend and she told me that the Florida State University system will actually honor non-student library cards. So if you're not a student, but you had a library card for the for the state, yeah. you go in and get a book. And I went in there, got a book, and they were like, oh, you're not a student here or anything. Hold on a second. There's a little form. You know, so they yeah, signed yeah, yeah. a little form, like in case the book gets lost, we know who to find. It could happen, yeah. So yeah, but finding that information, getting into that into that zone, I think that's where me and you connected a lot because you definitely had that drive and you wanted to get out there. So okay, now you're out there yeah. at full sale. How do how does how do things change? Are you just on the right path now? What's 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 in your mind? Yeah, bro. So th there's there's two facets to that venture, and it's there was definitely kind of this this world in new york where i was surrounded by friends and family and loved ones and again finding myself and getting caught up in like getting diverted off the path or finding my path mm -hmm. and so what moving to orlando allowed was it allowed me to kind of just like isolate and detach and just be surrounded by family mm -hmm. and allow me to focus solely on the pursuit of what I think is an outlet for me to be doing the thing I want to do, which is be some somehow tied into the gaming world. You know what I'm saying? Because back then there was no playing games for money. There was no streaming. There was none of that, right? You have to make the game and this, this could be a job for people. And I went to the school, uh, I went to visit family right? Mm -hmm. they, put, they put me on a tour of the school. They showed me the grounds, right? As you'd imagine, it was everything I needed to see because they had Mortal Kombat arcades, Street Fighter arcades, virtual tennis arcades, and they had like state-of-the-art computers and they gave students like the, what would seem to me at the time to be an unlimited amount of hard drive, and RAM and video power and processing power to like run the latest games, which which I couldn't even like install on my computer without them blowing up. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so and then and then to show me like, hey, look, 
they would go out of their way to, to give you a hands-on, like sit in on classes and they would show you, Hey, look, this is code. And when I press run, it's going to launch this 3d application. And then you move a character around and you interact and, and, and this is how you do it. Right. So I had seen code. I had an understanding and a, and a, a passion for coding, right? I love the, the low barrier of entry of just typing text in a notepad, logically writing instructions and making things happen. You know what I'm saying? Like I wasn't an artist and, and, and I had a much more kind of mathematical mind, right? Like I, was, I dig more objectivity at the time, right? Like I'm, I wasn't the best debater or critical thinker, but I was damn good at taking a rule set and applying it to get a result. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so aha, he made that connection for me, right? Code equals game. You can make games here. We're going to show you how to get this by the time you're out of here and, you know, financial aid and making an investment in myself and having family believe in me to be like, Hey, you're going to, you know, my aunt and uncle put me up, save me from having to pay rent. I'm in full sale. Now I'm at the place where I think they're going to give me the tools or the trade to do the thing. It's all up to me now to consume it and absorb it. And they did, bro. They did a hundred percent. Like I'm, I'm in class with like 80 people of, of similar passion, right? Hey, we want, we play the shit out of games. We're here to make games. They thought, they thought they were there to make games. Mm, okay. Cause after the first so handful of classes where you go to like paper design, then you start getting into like math and programming. Half of those people would weed it out got weeded out, right? They, they didn't yeah, have the yeah. same critical thinking that it took. But me, I gravitated towards that, man. Until month after month, they're just drilling you with, you know, logic, C++. And yep. then, and we go from, as you imagine, right? We're making super simple, basic text games. You know, like here's a, here's a C character and you press left, right, up and down and it moves. And when it right. collides with another thing, things happen, right? The super basic, but to this day, a lot of games are built off the same logic parameters. You know what I'm saying? They just have art and a million, you know, like a hundred man army, hundred person army of artists and animators and VFX people and audio people and to make it look pretty. But the logic is, is the same. You know what I mean, right. exactly. And I, I like what you said about it. It kind of weeded people out now. Yeah. Did, did you, so when did you get on the math and coding kind of kick? Did that happen when you were in college in New York or sometime before we get, were there bits of it? Yeah. It's funny. Math just made sense to me, right? Like English wasn't my first language, but mathematics okay. doesn't have a, a language. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Numbers are the same. However, the, which way you move them or put them next to each other and do an operation on them. And, uh, you know, I, I had a, a good explanation. I don't know if that's a word explanation to math. Well, you but let's go with it. So I had seen calculus and all the levels of trig and, uh, you know, algebra before I got to college. So when I got to college, it was kind of easy. And then coming into a game school that it was finally for the first time applying geometry in a way that makes sense and sparks excitement. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I'm a character. My target is over there. I'm aiming at it, right? The camera's pointing this way. How do I find that angle? Oh, hypotenuse, bro. So good. Yeah. You know, like finally I'm like, oh my God, I get to use this in a way that makes sense. You know, that's like, 
that's a very weird revelation. I know what you mean. Where you're sitting down and you're like, hey, wait a minute. Can't we use a Carno map to see if these plots are gonna line up and we're gonna have all like I was big on discrete mathematics. I was yes. This stuff is crazy when I started using it in actual games, you know. So I know what you mean with the math and the logic. It's it's really weird how that connects and just kind of lights up. Bro, it's beautiful, man. Because before then, it was like, what what application do I have for this? Maybe I can be an architect, right? That was another avenue that maybe I was entertaining of how do I apply the things I'm actually good at to the real world, right? Because up until then, all people would tell me is like, oh, yeah, you're good at math. You'll probably make a good engineer. Yeah. Okay, I guess, you know, I I think. So I want to tell people that if you're good at math, you can make games. You can be a gameplay programmer, man. Like, they love you. You can be a rendering programmer. They need people like that. You you started out, were you doing, you were doing gameplay code when when you first broke in. Yeah, I started out uh, doing gameplay code with the Howard Scott Warshaw. He as my as my director. I told you that story on the Out of Play Area podcast. You guys check that out later. We'll link it up and get to that in a minute. What was the name of that book? Cracking College, Conquering College, Conquering College. It was. I wish it I was some. It was some of the funniest shit. I mean, it was like you know, they're like, hey, even if you don't have a question after class, you know, make sure you show up after class like three or four times you know, every month to make sure that the teacher understands. I'm like, all right, sure, whatever. And what's funny is, and even as a game developer, I started doing some of the concrete college techniques. Like I'd walk into the producer's office and be like, hey man, we're doing this, this, and this, and this. And, you know, it was just techniques about how to get through a large system. Life skills, man. Basically. So yeah, I had, you know, I had Howard and I was doing, doing that thing as a gameplay programmer. And for people who don't know what a quote unquote gameplay programmer is, I was just moving around all the logic to make sure the score was correct. The proper number of characters were on screen, uh, that everything was getting garbage collected. Okay. That, that means if something was off screen or needed to be deleted from the memory, that it wouldn't like blow up your RAM or anything like that. Keeping track of loading. If we were coming to the end of a level, I needed to start this whole load out process and load in the next level process, which was a whole process of its own. Yep. You know, so just making sure everything kind of worked. And that also got me into working with the controller, which was really interesting to me. Input, um, input yeah. handling. Yeah. So something you never think of where, you know, there's like a separate input chip on the, yeah. and you're like, oh, I can access this thing separately from the rest of the, and it's like, yeah, yeah, you can try out whatever you want. It's not going to affect the graphic speed and yeah, just really weird stuff that you could start playing around with. So that's where, that's where I started. But you, when you, so you went to full sale, you did your thing. How easy was it for you to jump from, Hey, I went to this video game school to, mm-hmm. Hey, I have a video game job. How did that work? Yeah, sure. So by the time you get out of there, right, we're essentially pretty decent programmers, right? We can jump into any aspect of a game stack, you know, from networking, rendering, any anything of this. We can we can come in and hold our own to at least partner with a senior or something like that. So I came out of school just looking at programming jobs, you know, just applying left, right, and center for anything and everything that says program, you know, so that includes Microsoft and and, and all those guys. Real quick, did you have a focus? I I I, I really took to tools programming. Okay. You know what I'm saying so like 
I really enjoyed making my own application and hooking into organizing assets or spitting them out in a way that was friendly to whatever schema you wanted or something like that, right? Like, I guess what what what, what you call now like a UX or UI designer or programmer, right? I, I really took a liking to some of that stuff. Obviously, gameplay programming and uh, even a little bit of AI, really dug AI in school, right? Like pathfinding and optimizing the way right. that something can get to you or something. So that's what I, you know, but funny enough, when Midway would kind of go recruit from Full Sail, a few other companies had the kind of same thing, right? They had a few, I guess, employees that were on the, the board of the curriculum, right? And so, they had a hand in affecting what the kids are learning so that you can help them build and solve their problems, right? So Midway would come and recruit and they had a pretty good success rate, right? They would kind of find one or two people every time they came. And uh, I was essentially like number 10 or something like that. When they came back around, I was put in contact with my career dev. I want to shout him out, Rob Coble. For some random reason, he took a liking to me and uh, worked with me, you know, doing all the usual, like, hey, give me your resume. I'll help you tighten it up. I'll put it in front of these people. I think, I think, you know, a little bit of self-awareness looking back is in a group of programmers and, and let's call a spade a spade, socially awkward mofos. I stood out because I had somewhat capable, I was somewhat capable of speaking to someone and having a conversation on not just like, yeah. you know, what you're doing in code and how does that thing work and shit like that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. So I think, I think this is what he gravitated towards. Like, Hey, you could be a good designer. I didn't know what that was, right? I didn't know that was a thing. And so on the interview process, you know, we're, we're talking very little about code and we're talking a whole lot about pop culture and game feel and the way the world works you know like design for me an elevator system and i'm like i i, I can i can break that down logically and you're saying yeah i would put the floors in an array and, and you know i would put your input you know whatever floor you press in a separate and i would compare and you know do some like buying you know some binary sorting or some shit like that and and figure out peak time, right? You're coming into a building, you know, then you probably want to send more elevators up. You know, you leave in the building at the end of the day, you probably want to have more elevators going down, shit like that. Yeah. But I love these conversations, Benja, because it was straight up the shit that I didn't have to go to school for. It was the shit that I knew growing up and the conversations I was having over the cafeteria table with the homies, you know what I'm saying? It was like, yo, why is Batman a compelling character, right? Like, why right, is he right. cooler than a Captain America, for instance, right? These are the, the things that designers kind of obsess over because you got to make a mass market selling product, for example. Yeah. Did that feel like a, a I don't want to say a slight, but how did that, how did that take you? I mean, how did you take that where it's like, hey, I, you, you might be a designer. Mm -hmm. Did you feel like, well, no, I want to keep doing this programming thing or let me see what it's about. How did you yeah. take it? I'll tell you how I took it. It was like, hey, we want to give you a job in games. I says, yes, sign me the hell up. I don't care what you got to do. 
I'm going to fake the funk. I'm going to fake it till I make it. And I'm going to do whatever the hell you want me to do. Cause I, I think I, by this point, I've touched a little bit of a little, you know, I've done a little bit of modeling. I've done a little bit of level layout, done a whole bunch of coding, done a little bit of paper design, you know, like I can, I can float. I can float for at least 10 seconds, right? Enough yes. To, enough to get me through to, to, to learn more. Okay. Yeah. Cause with me, it's funny. And, and I asked that because, you know, you, you're never quite sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially coming out of college, you've got your own ideas. You've been building these things for so long, but then you get out into quote unquote, the real world. You're yeah. not sure how people are reading what you're doing. Yeah. And when I got to, when I got to 3DO, I remember people were thinking, I don't know if I mentioned this, but people were like, Hey, are you, uh, are you an artist? And I was like, nah, bro. You know, oh, okay. You're a programmer. I mean, are you a, a designer? It's like, nope. So, okay. So you're in QA and I'm like, no, 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 I'm a programmer. And they were like, oh, and they were all kind of like, you know, oh, I'm a programmer. I didn't know that. <laughs> so, there's a prestige to program. Yeah, there's a prestige. And, you know, dude, I was coming out of college and in college, I was trying to be, you know, fresh for the ladies. I was, I was doing college parties and stuff. I was having fun out there. So that vibe totally came into, into the workplace. I remember, you know, just having this crazy outfit on, I mean, crazy slick. It wasn't like, yes, fashionable. Yes. It was very fashionable. Chris, he'll figure it out. It was, it was badass outfit. And I just remember that was the thing I was wearing when I was talking to this guy. And I realized like, yo, I don't really fit with any of these programmers. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I was like. Okay. So I'm getting, they're getting a whole different read on me and I'm putting some energy out there that they don't understand. Cause I would, instead of saying like, Hey, this is a great programming obstacle. I saw, I saw like, well, Hey, why are we doing this in the first place? You know, if we're going to have all these characters, why don't we make our character select screen, do this and this and this. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, they look at me like, what does that have to do with, uh, you know, loading in these high res models? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, we don't want to load in the high res models because we need a character select screen that does this, this, and this. Hey. And, and I found myself going to lunch with the designers and hanging with the artists and all that. So that, that's, that was weird for me when I first got in, but then, you know, later on, I kind of figured out my, my zone. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you kind of, so I'm guessing with your with your zone, you kind of got in there and started off the ground running. I'm not actually sure what you did at Midway either. Yeah. So they called us game designers, uh-huh. but it was very similar to what we were doing at Rockstar under the design label. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? We are scripting encounters and systems and controlling what spawns and what loads and what you know, calculating damage and cleaning up and unlocking achievements, right? Like all that, like, low, you know, kind of low level gameplay logic, right? We're in charge of that. And, uh, and that, that's what kind of stuck, right? Cause it was, it was an easy application of the coding brain that was kind of like, you know, that I was, you know, that I was washed over with, you know, saying like, okay, this is how I solve problems. Now this, there's one way to solve a problem, right? You break that shit down analytically and, and, and categorize it and structure it and, and kind of break it down that way. And so they called designers that, but I'm, you know, 
I always felt like at Rockstar, we're more like gameplay programmers, really, the way mm -hmm. we operated. You know what I'm saying? We just had a little bit more creative freedom, which which I loved. I love Rockstar was like such a wonderful opportunity to marry a little bit of the best of both worlds. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and midway too, I wanted to touch on the crazy birth of design because back in the day, right, if you go to something like Paul, and I think his name was like Al Acorn or something like the Alan Alcorn, but like this one guy who programmed the two paddles and the ball physics, right, going back and forth and upping your score when it passes the edge of the screen, you know what I'm saying? And so yeah. he's credited as being the engineer and the designer, but he's really a coder, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then you take that one step further and you bring your artists in, right? And you could make that, you can take that super far and make one paddle Serena Williams and the other paddle Venus Williams, right? And all of a sudden you've, yeah. got, you've got tennis, you know what I'm saying? So now the aesthetics take a whole nother level because you have a 3D artist adding uh, that aesthetic layer to it. So all you need is an engineer and a an artist. And sometimes they would kind of cross-pollinate it across that little design realm, but you didn't really need it. You know what I'm saying? The designers make a, make a rule set, and that's how the game operates. Down the line over the years, that design specialty or discipline was born. You know what I'm saying? Where it wasn't someone who was engineering focus and it wasn't someone who was like art focused there was someone who lived in somewhere in between that lived in the nuts and bolts of the rule set or what the the, the player motivation you know what yeah. I mean? these are these are things that were kind of secondary to like it's got to look good if if the, if the product doesn't look good nobody's going to give a shit and the engineers focus on like well it's got to work if the thing crashes, yeah. it doesn't load, it brings out your computer, nobody's going to give a shit, right? The designer kind of came in and got to live in that space of like, well, where can we take this that hasn't been explored already, right? What motivations can we provide for you? What stories can we tell? What experiences can we create? So it's interesting how design is, tends to be this nebulous realm of like, oh, you're a level designer. Not really. Oh, you're a writer. You're a narrative person. I mean, I could do it, but that's not really what compels me. Oh, then you're like a systems designer. It's like, yeah, you're getting closer, getting hotter. So the, 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 the bucket has blown up, right? There's UI, UX, there's a whole bunch of derivatives of design. I myself love that little in-between between engineering and design, right? That little branch in between, because, you know, your roots are always going to kind of claw out. And so that's where you find kind of that technical design layer, as I like yes. to call it. So you you did some heavy work with with Amazon's lumberyard. Uh, mm -hmm. Are you out there doing the? You know, there's a picture of you on when I when I drop the picture, say yeah, the picture of you doing the demo, and now you're off at EA doing technical design there as well. So what yeah. does? So okay, they're they're technical designers, and mm -hmm. I, I'm I I kind of know what those are, and and. Like I'm just speaking from a regular person's point of view who's not in the game industry. I kind of get what a technical designer is. Yeah. But there's still this idea out there of I want to design games. And, you know, they think that's like a movie director or George Lucas or whatever of the games. Does that still exist or does that has that ever existed? Word, word, word. I mean, like, you know, if you want to go to the OG of the 
the discipline, I think, they, again, they always derive from I either drew the thing or I coded the thing. But I so can art, credit... Art, art or engineering? Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I can credit Shigeru Miyamoto, you know, the, the father of all those Nintendo games, Mario and Donkey Kong and Zelda, because I think he lived in that space of the dream world of like, I have an idea or I've, I've done something in my real life that now I want to simulate for people around the world to experience, right? Like being a little plumber, jumping and climbing down pipes and jumping on things as an obstacle to the player and Zelda being kind of the original open world game, right? So the, does the world, does the role of being a director exists for people who say they want to make games, right? Coming off from paper, I have an, I have an idea, right? I think, I think mm-hmm. you and I have run into that. Jeff, Jeff spoke very adamantly about this in a conversation he and I had on a, his episode about a play area yeah. that, you know, ideas are cheap. Everybody has ideas. You're not paid to be an idea person. A designer is not an idea person, a designer in, in my, my, my personal interpretation of a designer is a, a, a liaison or a, a bridge builder. Okay. I just came up with that right now. Like I've never used it to describe the craft, but I want to call them a bridge builder. Okay. Because bridge builder. they live in the center of the universe between all those other disciplines that go into making a game because you can make the art, right? Things for people to look at and you can code an interactive experience, right? When I press controls, things happen. And the designer gives a place for all those things to kind of come together at an intersection. Does that make sense? That makes sense to me. And I I wanna, to help, I'm going to offer my, my little clarification, not, not clarification. Cause I, what you said is correct. Well, I, I definitely want to hear what you, how you perceive the craft as well. So, so, you know, coming in, I'm thinking of the, the nearest model, which is movies. And yeah. when I think of, when I think of movies, I realized, and I had a long discussions about this with AJ Shaw. We were, we mentioned AJ, I think at some point from rockstar before you got there, the wild and crazy AJ. But he, we had this discussion about video game design versus movie development. And with the movie, you have this guy called a line producer. And the line producer basically says, okay, here's the script. And here are all the pieces of the puzzle. You know, we have to have actors. We have to have lighting. We have to have locations. We have to have permits. We have to have equipment. We have to have costume. He goes through all of this stuff and, you know, and that person lines up everything, you know, the line producer's job is basically to strip out the entire development of this process. And of course there are things that don't happen along the way or do happen, but it's a very, it's a relatively linear and understood process. Mm-hmm. So we've, we've had a couple hundred years of doing it, right? To kind of figure out a nice pipeline. Exactly. So you can apply it to stage plays. You can apply it to, you know, street performance or whatever you get in, you have your yeah. lines, you kind of do your thing and everything goes according to this plan by the line producer. 
in fact, the line producer, you know, everything is supposed to be like an assembly line. Yeah. That's where they get the name from. Mm-hmm. I didn't know this thing existed until I went to a screenwriters conference. Okay. But now that you've got everything lined up, you can just develop it. And it's not that way with games because there's always this, you know, well, how does this even work? We have a new controller. We're trying out. And it's so much more fluid and, you know, just the things happen by chance. You're still learning, you know, so, you know, you're, you could add a level, you could remove a level and add characters, take away characters. And yes, you do that in movies, but it's much less of, there's much less variability in there. Yeah. 100%. It's, it's kind of, it's it's the opposite end of the spectrum of Hollywood, right? Like they start from the script. And then they kind of work down the line, you know, with like getting your, your executive team or your director, then getting your cast, then doing, you know, you got storyboards, right? Like it's very rare a surprise in the middle of a movie production. Yes. I think I've never been in one. I, I think, I think the odds are very low that there's a, a surprise. Well, they don't, yeah. They don't like surprises. So yeah, the only surprises come around if like, this actor broke his leg. Yeah. Uh, you know, some, we, we got the, which got is the, a known risk. Right? Yeah. We got the rights to get somebody on that wasn't available before, you know, you know, there are different ways of changing a movie around or a Hollywood production around as you go. But it always seemed to me to be a little more static than what we dealt with in games where, you know, it was more like, well, of course we could switch out the main character with the side character in terms of the the physical 3D model, you know, you don't do that with actors so much. Like, you don't just switch out the stuff right off CG, right? Yeah, exactly. Really quickly, I want to make sure I, I hit a, a few of these people that. How how are we on time with you? By the way, how how much time will we trying to hit? This it's on you. I can hang out for a little bit. All right, we'll we'll, we'll say a half hour. Yeah, yeah. All right. So uh, really quick, before I jump back into that, a tribe called Mel asked, do you think X are true designers? The UX guys. Yeah, yeah. Experience design is for sure a big deal for sure these days. Like, I mean, they can be applied in a lot of different avenues, right? Like, hey, I have an app. I need to control how many clicks it takes to get to a place. In the game area, these are definitely the people that are doing a lot of the work. Now the games are super complex, right? There's a million things you could do on the controller and only so many buttons. They're the people playing a critical role of bringing in players off the street from wherever, watching them, studying them, recording them, and bringing the developers back that information to be like, ooh, there's some friction here, right? This doesn't make sense to a good percentage of players. Let's revisit that, right? Let's. So they are a super critical part of of design for sure it's more feel you know experience design is definitely a lot of feel but a lot of analytics goes into it right mm-hmm. i think so too and the reason uh the reason her question caught me be- was that with it's ux yeah with with ux design there's so much you know interaction there's so much interactivity how does that mesh with the feel you know what i mean of yeah. how how the actual game feels and as we're talking about, there is no, and this is my perspective we're getting into. I'm not saying this as a declarative across the board, but there isn't that person that says, I am the designer. You kind of have this vibe that's like, 
hey, this person's developing the the user interface. He needs to yeah. talk with the sound guy. The sound guy is doing things a certain way, and that person needs to talk with whoever is getting all of the the characters' voices recorded. You know, yeah. So you have this whole design thing that's kind of just spread out amongst a lot of people. And I think that's where the the director slash producer comes in to kind of make sure that everything is not going off the rails. Yeah, keep keep everything kind of moving forward to in line of the original vision. Right. So that's how I kind of see it. And uh, I don't know if I ever told you, but I was actually told one time by somebody that I was going to be the last lead designer at Rockstar. That they were just never... Is that because you fucked it up? Because oh god, like, yo, Ben, Ben, Ben kind of closed the door for the rest of people behind him, man. Or, or yeah, I'm curious. Um, because I, I think, I think yeah, there's two ends of the spectrum, right? There's the there's the the person who has the vision and the will and the charisma to rally an entire production on his or her shoulders so that we never deviate too far off the path and get that thing delivered. And then there's the other end of the spectrum that is really great at running the madness in the kitchen. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And knows his chefs and the entire team and what they're good at and changing the recipe and adding some spice here or there, moving it around or knowing when you got to toss that and start again yeah. kind of thing. I think that's, and exactly. And and this is where I started getting on my game design is did platform. Mm. You know, mm. I didn't, uh, I wasn't knocking that games have no design or whatever, but that idea that I had held on to, you know, was kind of fading away where it was becoming more of a team effort to produce this quote unquote game as a, from a design point of view. Yeah. So, so you do have your, once in a while, you still have your Cliffy B's. You'll have your, you know, Minecraft, which is basically a solo operation. Mm -hmm. You know, you have your, you know, Corey Barlog from, from the God of War Saturday series. Monster, yeah. Yeah. They brought him back in just to do that thing because they couldn't corral all those ideas. And let me not knock them like that. I shouldn't say they couldn't corral all those ideas, but there were too many ideas going around and yeah. it was the guy to come in and corral them all together. Yeah, so I'm with you. I'm with you on that vibe to say a creative director in games tends to be more of a corraler these days mm -hmm. than the other end of the spectrum where it's like, I got the vision. It's all in my head. I'm going to show you the way. Now, do you think that's good or bad? Or do you have a preference for either style? I've, I've worked in both, right? And... <sighs> I hate to use this, but it, it feels like when you have that sole single threaded owner, mm -hmm. things get done. You know what I'm saying? There's, there's very little deviation unless it's an absolute mess, but things get done and quickly kind of shifted or changed. And in the other realm, there's a lot more fuzziness and dancing and, and People kind of falling, you know. <laughs> he said dancing. <laughs> Look what I made. Let's dance. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there's pros and cons to both, man. And they definitely both still exist. And I think 
these days, if you're in the kind of the, the freelance circuit or you're, you know, you're doing the, the interview dance, you, it's up to you to pick, you know, which one brings out the best in you, your best creative source, right? As a designer, as an artist, you usually want room to flex a little bit, right? You want a little bit of ownership. You want to work with someone that you know is going to take your ideas, gel with them, kind of bake them a little bit, marinate them, kind of bring you to a new level. So I, I know who I would work for, right? I would okay. work for the, 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 you know, the, the suit, what, what's the, the, the main head of the kitchen usually called? It's the, the sous head. chef. Is it the, well, the sous chef is a dude, you know, cutting and chopping onions and stuff like that, right? He's working the tools, but there's okay. like the head, there's like the head chef, bro. Like if, okay, I forgot what I'm making for him. Yeah. If we go to Ratatouille, you know, it's the little small dude running the kitchen and making the calls over like who's in there, who's not in there. What's the, what's the show with Gordon Ramsay, Kitchen Nightmares, Hell's Kitchen or something like that? Yeah. There's like a top uh, chef and there's a chop. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But he he's the guy who's always yelling, you know, about it. You didn't season it. You know, how dare you do this to the to the filet mignon? What you think you know, shrimp should be cared for in this way? Those are creative, that's the, creative discussions, man. That's the tyrant run. I mean, yeah, was there a special name for head chef? Happy accident. That's what we're looking for. Was there a special name for head chef? Yeah. But with, uh, so yeah, oh, by the way, if you haven't watched How to Be a Tyrant, this may be a time to write that down. Right, or, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's on Netflix, How to Be a Tyrant. It's, it takes a weird look at, you know, these very controlling figures, obviously, tyrant, right? Yeah. Um, I, saw, I think it has, like, Hitler on the cover or something. Yeah, you know, Hitler, mm -hmm. Adi, Adi Amin. Mm -hmm. uh, and it just talks about their personalities. And it, I don't want to say glorifies them, mm -hmm. but yeah. it's, it's kind of like, hey, man, she should, dude got shit done. Yeah. And, uh, so it's kind of got that vibe about it. And I think about that a lot in, in development circles, how, yes, it's good to have everybody's input, but sometimes when someone comes in and just gets something done, yeah. same thing with, you know, Gordon Ramsay and the, and being a, a tough chef. In fact, I tried bringing that example up one time at a, at a game development studio. I was like, guys, we're kind of all over the place. Yeah. Now I'm going to send, here's, I'm going to send out an episode of, you know, link to an episode of this show. This is our problem right here. And I love that. The rest of all of us have, yeah, this is why they didn't like me as a designer. <laughs> Everybody's like, we're doing a good job. And I would stand up. No, I'm fucked up. We're all fucked up. Let's fix this. And they'd get mad at me. But I sent out this, I sent out this link and they watched the video. And they were like, are you saying we're out of control and you're going to yell at us? I'm like, no, I'm not going to yell at you, but somebody's somebody else. I, yeah. Yeah. So that was yelling Jeff up in there. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I hear that. I hear that, man. I hear that. Like, it's interesting too, right now that these companies are getting bigger and bigger and getting satellite sister studios in different countries, right? With tax havens and all this thing, cultures, cultures are super interesting, man. Like, can you imagine being in, in one place operating how we do in Southern California and then having to connect with people in Canada, either Vancouver, Toronto, or Montreal, and then having to work with people from the UK and Swedish people from Stockholm, right? Who have very different sensibilities and the way you and I speak to each other, very endearingly, very straightforward, matter of factly, 
you try speaking like that to someone from a different culture and country, right, and that, right. that shit is hardcore lost in translation. You know what I'm saying? And it's misinterpreted easily, man. So there's, there's definitely a new layer of, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, we, we throw the word empathy around a lot and, you know, you can throw, you can say, you can give the visual of putting the, the kid gloves on and the mittens so you, that you, you don't break someone who's very thin skinned when you're wrestling yes. them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's, and you know, the new, the new generation of developers is coming up underneath that as well, you know, where it's like very close to their art and their craft and, and don't yes. handle feedback or criticism necessarily well, you know? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I, I came up, I came up as a, not afraid of anybody, you know, I, I was a small kid actually, you know, I came up as, as a small black kid who wasn't afraid of anybody in the North Florida, South Georgia region where Southern Baptist ideals ruled. Right. Yeah. So, you know, and my, my dad was from Mississippi, my mother was from New Orleans and they moved to this Southern Baptist place and it was, you know, th- so they were like, Hey, do what you got to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if an obstacle comes in the way, you got to find a way to go through it, go yep. around, go around it, get it moved out of the way, you know, phase through it, whatever, you know, they were just like, phase through a shadow cat through that stuff. Yeah. You know, pull a flash and just kind of zoom through the thing. You know, they were basically just like, you have to go through stuff to get to where you need to be. You don't have to hurt anybody. You don't have to do it, but you have to be kind of a hard ass. And so that's what I grew up with. Right. And I know people from New York and you've got a variety of experiences. You know, you may have had, you have a little bit of that, you know, oh, I get it. There's a harder edge to life. Yeah. So now, and I really, I, I really don't want to, because there's a lot of good that's coming out of this empathy, a ton of good. Oh, well, I, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, we're, we're better, we're better now than we were back then. For sure. Yeah, exactly. And I don't want to, I don't want to minimize that at all, but I don't have the proper sensitivity a lot of times mm-hmm. to be able to say, you know, listen, you can push through this or you can find a way to make it happen or you can stand your ground. You can, you know, and it becomes extremely difficult. Like, yeah, I I got in trouble once for having an, an argument with another old schooler and it made somebody else who was comfortable. Yeah, who was completely detached from our situation, uncomfortable. So it was kind of like I stood up and was like, hey, this is here. It shouldn't be there. Why don't we change this to that and this? And it's like, you need to mind your business because this and that and that. I'm like, dog, it's doing this. It's broken. It's effed up. And it's probably going to cause problems for these. And we got into a, it was, to me, it was very factual. Yeah. Get the facts and information out. Boom, 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 boom. And a little while later, I get pulled into an office, like they close the door. You know, yeah. you know, you fucked up when they close the door. <laughs> yeah. Somebody said to me, we did, we got a report back about your behavior and you said something that you shouldn't have said. And we don't want you to speak that way anymore. And I was like, well, what was it? I said, and they were like, yeah, if we told you it may implicate the person who brought us this information. So watch yourself. I was like, what? You know, I mean, yeah. me coming from my, I was in my development mode, just like, you know, make <laughs> stuff out, keep going. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so we're, I'm like, okay, okay. Now I have to, 
re- realize that you know it's a it's a different vibe now we're not mm-hmm. we're not individual members all pushing forward we're yeah. kind of a team and whatever i do had more of an effect on people around me so i don't know you're you're a a, a game maybe a game generation down for me in part of the newer so you're a little closer to that than i am what's it like out there now and I, i'm definitely out of games so i don't have that fresh perspective yeah, it's super interesting, right? Like having come up in the, you know, people get passionate, they want to throw fists, you throw fists, and there's respect and love the next day because you're just motivated by getting the best thing out there to the millions and millions of people around the world chanting his name. But in today's day and age, for sure, there's a lot of learning. And I'm loving it because what was lacking back when we were coming up is there was no training. There was nobody telling you how to deal with different personality types and different people, right? You kind of, everybody had one algorithm that they applied that was, that worked for them and nobody had checked them. So they just kind of run everybody through the same (laughs) wow loop. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Do until <laughs> do until pulled into office, door closed, and checked. Yes. And so what I'm loving about today, right, and kind of gives me hope that I can keep doing this for a little while longer, is you got a lot of training and seminars and experts coming in. A lot of, you know, it comes a lot from psychology and sociology and a lot of research. And they're coming in, man, and they're breaking down, like, you know, Look at what happens when you positively encourage someone. <laughs> Look yeah. at what happens when you negatively put down someone's work consistently, right? And you see the little the little trend lines and it's like, yeah. oh, okay, we should all love each other and hug each other and, and stuff like that. But really, I think I think the the missing ground that I see, Benja, is people are very good about complaining after the fact and you, you for sure this is probably yes, yes. Time, right? like a lot of time when you're in the heat of it you know there's like a shock factor to be like yeah oh i just got i just got disrespected you know yeah and you unpack that on your own but i think we're all learning to be a little better communicators and and oh okay okay matter of fact hold on let me take a step back all right all right let me take a step back man there's this whole mental health movement and and hey, getting a counselor and speaking to a therapist is an okay thing. It's a great thing. We can all benefit from that because I think a lot of us hold things to the chest and then take it out somewhere and misappropriate it and it manifests itself in some negative explosion, right? That then you got to get called into an office about. So I think in this day and age, we're, we're having these deeper discussions with ourselves, with friends, with peers on social media, with therapists or whatever, and you're learning your triggers. And so you can kind of catch yourself when you're in the heat of the moment. And you can, you can, you can convey that in the middle of a, of a hot, of a heated discussion. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yo, yeah. I'm hot right now, but it's because I really want this feature to shine. Not because I don't like your idea. Right. And, and, oh, you know what, dude, I'm high right now too, but thank you for elaborating on that. That helps bring my trigger and my self-defense mechanism down a bit. Let's keep going. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And and so I think 
that that's where a lot of learning is happening and we kind of get to serve as role models for this new generation like you said the little odd bystander that sees two people having a heated discussion and it's like oh i feel for this guy i'm gonna go complain about it because he made me uncomfortable right it's like yeah mine well first i, I naturally want to say mind your own fucking business but I, I, what i what i'd much rather have them have seen <laughs> is is two people communicating the whole journey of the emotions and the idea and the facts and then that person kind of being able to see that oh you know they're going through the whole dance of a conversation and getting their thoughts out there right like yeah and 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 experiencing that i think you see a lot more meetings these days where you get all these different personality types especially on zoom you know i'm saying like where only one person can speak at a time that helps a lot you get to watch people's behavior and see when they kind of take something to the heart and you get to ask them to be like, yo, how did that land for you, bro? Yeah. I didn't mean it this way. Let's make sure that we are all on the same page kind of thing. So there's a really cool evolution that's happening. And it, there's definitely been a lot of uncomfort for me and I have to resist on a lot of my natural urges. Yeah. But I'm really loving who I'm becoming on the other end of this journey as a result of dealing with this new wave of sensitive tissue paper people yeah it's, you know what and i i totally agree man I'm, I'm there with you and i'm willing to i'm willing to take it i'm willing to learn because i think that 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 softer side you know i i rock with the uh, you know kind of a gentle demeanor a lot of times and i get that yeah but then people get people get really surprised when i you know go in on something but you know, I'm like, okay, that's just how I am. Sorry, I you know, I was, I wasn't even thinking about your ass before. Now we have to go. Yeah, pick people you know, always think it's about them, man, and it's like, no, it has nothing to do with you. It's the, right. take your ego out of it. Let this man, let this man shine his passion. I, it's, that's why I dig yeah. your creative vibe, Benjamin, one hundred percent, because I know it's gonna be like no holds barred, no prisoners taken. You're gonna get your thing out there, and. And I naturally gravitate towards that, right? That's what I grew up around. You right. Know saying mm -hmm. nobody's apologizing for pushing their vision or idea. You know what I'm saying? We, we're used to in the hood. I mean, where I grew up in New York City in Spanish Harlem, we're used to a lot of like that. Sometimes loudest voice gets the head start. Yeah. But eventually everybody goes around in the cipher, right? In their own little way. Everybody gets a turn to bring what they can bring to the table eventually. Right. Yeah, mm -hmm. totally. And you know, to that point, we've, you know, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to leave this saying that you know, you know, we should all just be hard asses because what the what we're doing now is cutting off of a lot of the bad edges. We're pushing out a lot of the because you and I, I've I've never had a thought in my head that says, you know. John Diaz is passionate, but he's really a problem. Mm. I don't know anyone that's known me that's for any, you know, length of time that said, you know, well, he's really a toxic person and a, a bad individual. I'd hope that I'd hope that somebody would pull me across and say, hey, yeah, now you're getting in the toxic zone, you know, yeah. instead of just being passionate. But I accept it because now a lot of bullshit is coming to light that, you know, yeah. I could I could uh, I could 
say something in a certain situation, but then I hear about all these stories and I'm like, whoa, that's what went down between you and that group or, oh, that's why they decided to change the project was to fire these seven guys. Wow, that's interesting. You know, so I'm hearing all this stuff and, you know, for somebody who's used to being in the, in the trenches fighting in a certain way, you know, I mean, you remember me at work. We said it at the beginning of the podcast, you know, I don't give a shit, you know, that, yeah, that's how kind of, how kind of, I kind of roll, but you know, I don't want to gloss over like what's happening at Activision Blizzard now. Serious. You know, there are enough, I don't want to say pockets, but there are enough stains throughout the industry where it's necessary to bring that to light and say, you know what? This is why we need this empathy. This is why we need to have these better discussions. So I'm going to try to be a hard ass as I always have been, but you know, I want to be sure I'm coming across as like, Hey, are you, are we, are we doing this right? Are we having the proper discussions? Yeah, dude. I, I, I love that because I think the, the, what makes a team thrive is to make sure that everybody feels that their voice is heard. You know what I'm saying? So when you see the thing that's going on at Blizzard, it's because people spoke up and nothing resulted and the things kept going on, right? So, and then people think that, oh, I can't speak up because nothing happens, right? So knowing that you're heard is 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 a big piece of that. You know what I'm saying? Like to know, to know that I can come to Benja and I can... I can express to you my interpretation or my feedback on an idea or a concept or a piece of art and to feel like he heard me. That is all I need. You know what I'm saying? Like that is all I need. When someone yeah. feels like their voice isn't heard on a project, on a creative project, on a team where right. it's like, yo, we're all working towards the same end results. When you keep getting your voice kind of trampled and disregarded, that's when you need to bounce. A, you need to get the hell out of there and go somewhere else. But uh, B, you know, it, it tends it tends to kind of come back at you in our egotistical selves, right? To be like, oh, am I doing something wrong? Can I be better? Oh, I suck. Whatever like that, right? And you never want that, right? Yeah, as a teammate, you want your teammates to be operating at their 150% maximum power. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. And it's it's fun to run at that at that speed oh, you know it's fun to to read i was talking to jeff i was talking to jeff about the runner's high and i was like when you get in that mode it's like ah, you know you're in there it's passionate so i want to run fast i want the person next to me to run fast you know Good. i don't want everything to be in the 35 mile per hour zone you know <laughs> let's just you know let's <laughs> with speed let's, bumps and shit man yeah let's let let's find a way to open up the engines and let people cruise or do it do their thing you know show so, feeling so yeah man listen this has been a, a, a great discussion i don't know if you want to is there anything else that you wanted to, to get out there before we start to benja thanks for having me on here man benja Cup is amazing i'm glad to be a part of it this year i love what you're doing i love how you create a space and bring people on and, and get to do the things that we have been detached from or disconnected from, right? Because these things aren't happening. The pandemic's put in its cock block and a bunch of these cool things that would bring us together. I I, I got a couple minutes if you wanted to chat about 
podcasting, man, and that outlet. Yes, and that was and the hell. And how the hell oh, yeah, that was... developers or artists or, or come up with like, hey, let's get on a mic and, and talk and put it out there. Oh yeah, someone that's my, uh, listen. That that's my that's my rollout note podcasting. So. As, as you said, you know, I start. I started doing this thing because, and actually, Raph, who is in the, who is in here, I'm not sure if he's still in here, but Raph was in here. He got me started on the podcasting bit. Shout out to Raph. Yes, you you were and, the first podcaster I ever met. Oh, awesome! Yeah, nice. man. Yeah, man. It was it was a fun time. St- stuck with me, and you know, it was just recording conversations that we have already. And putting it out there in a way that's beneficial to us and hopefully to the people listening. So, you know, now I'm moving this new podcast era for myself into, you know, the ADD experience, art design development. And Raph is back. Yes, Raph is in the house. Okay. You I didn't want I didn't want to start hitting buttons and might accidentally close the session as well. Yeah, me too. I'm like so. <laughs> super panicked. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and Raph will be on later on tonight. Sure to have an awesome discussion with him. Josh, who's also in the in the comments there talking about passion is loud. That's definitely true. He's coming on today and he's bad. That guy, work ethic, getting it and doing stuff will definitely if you if you're talking about work ethic and getting through stuff and just hey, I don't know what that is, but I'm getting in and I'm doing it. That's that's a guy I wanted to definitely connect with. He's often here too. Okay. So yeah, we still got good stuff coming, but yeah, it was a whole creative vibe and I like creating not in a vacuum, but with kind of bouncing things off people, seeing what they're about. Mm-hmm. So that's the spirit of Benjacon and that's why I'm doing this, but you have the out of play area podcast. Tell us what that's about. Yeah, man. So this podcast came to be as a survival mechanism from a person who has gone a whole year in a pandemic in 2020, starved to connect and talk about game development with people that just wasn't next to me at work, right? Specifically on an engine team or something like that, right? I wanted to talk outside of those confines. And I finally got with an employer where I knew enough, right? As a creative, going into any company, you know, I'd caution you guys to read the fine print or get a lawyer to know what you're signing when you're taking a deal from any place that's willing to give you a bunch of money to own your creative outputs. Because I found out that that was something valuable to me as a result of being, having worked at Amazon, making YouTube videos for their technology and getting out there as like a public face who can speak on game development, right? To be like, oh shit, I didn't know that this was a thing and there was an appetite for it. And let alone that this is a, a wonderful creative outlet, you know, for someone who's kind of lived behind the screen, working in virtual worlds, making things happen, and then kind of shooting that off into a world and have, hearing the feedback on the internet and what people thought is to be able to kind of connect one-on-one then and there, you know what I'm saying? Like, yo, you can reach me, you can chat with me, I can connect with you on the fly. I get your feedback live, see what you dig, what you don't dig. And that was a sweet outlet too, man. Like getting in a timeline and chopping and moving things around and and telling your own narrative. I love that shit, right? I never got to experience that before. So now coming into my job at EA, that was not going to be an aspect of my work, but I still wanted that outlet. So I 
negotiated that upfront to be like, yo, I want to have public facing content where I talk about games. How do we make that happen? Where's the the happy medium between it, right? So yeah. I signed away my ability to make a game and monetize it or get any money off of this, but it allows me an outlet to talk about game development, keep the skills sharp, keep leveling up, right? Like keep learning what's hot and what's not and where the trends are going from people that I don't work with and put that out there to kind of give back and leave breadcrumbs for the people coming behind me. You know what I'm saying? Put that hand and reach back for other people who like us didn't know that this was a thing you could do for money, right? That don't know yeah. where to start or where to look. And so that's where this podcast came from. Benja was like, I want to keep connecting with people. I want to have a, 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 a live bridge and I want to capture these conversations because we know so many amazing creative individuals with unique stories that we're so used to kind of being garb ordered and you can't talk about it, right? That's the culture that we came from. Yes. So I want to I want to give motherfuckers an outlet to kind of like, yo, it's okay, man. It's okay to come out the cave and tell your story and share your your opinions and insight. Honoring your NDA or whatever confidentiality agreements you have, there's so much more that you have to offer on your journey with the world that people want to hear, right? So that's me creating that access point and letting yeah, yeah. And, and 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 having fun and then and then there's a flip flip side to that right where i'm becoming a better speaker and presenter man because when you sit hours on end listening to two people converse and you see the patterns of the ums and the ahs and the you know and what i'm telling you know what i'm saying and and and, and slowly but surely that's making me a better orator and a speaker, right? And I get to put that into practice with each interview that I have coming up. Do you listen to your Do you listen to your old interviews? I do, man. My wife tells me that I have a problem, but I, I, I view it as a skill. <laughs> I, I think it's a skill to be able to kind of like listen to yourself and watch yourself for hours on end. Yeah. Just with the focus of like tightening it up and, and yeah. cutting it down and shit like that. So hold up, you, you have a problem as as in like, you know, you, why are you listening to yourself? Yes. What's wrong with you? Okay. Yes, exactly. She'll, she'll catch me in the car. I have my podcast like jacked up. She's like, you're fucking listening to yourself again. I was like, no, babe, I'm consuming my content to know how I can improve it on the next episode. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. It's funny. I, I, was, I took a person out. I, I take... I was in a period of taking a lot of personality tests because I was trying to figure out more about my personal energy. Yeah. You know, I was like, okay, normally I wouldn't deal with this kind of thing, but I need to step back and look at my personal energy a little more, right? Sure. So I took a, I took several personality tests and one of them, I scored a hundred in a certain category and it was narcissism. And what I, oh, I was like, I was like a hundred. Okay. Either that, is you know, this test is incredibly, you know, accurate or a complete load of shit? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's one of those, you know, where they have like fuzzy questions. It's like, you know, if you were if you were in a, you know, a situation where you didn't know how to do anything, would you leave or stay there and do it? And I'm like, stay there and do it. I don't give a shit if I fail or not, or, you know, I was, whatever. 
And it's like, and every, I kept thinking back to each of those questions and I'm like, I wonder who wrote this because, uh, you know, yeah. And it's not like I'm always confident that I'll win something, but I'm just like, yeah, get in there and do it. You know, you're on stage, you know, people are laughing. Do you keep going and get off stage? Keep going. What are you talking about? Yeah. 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 Start, man. So yeah, it was just a self-awareness thing, but I thought that was funny that he got seen as narcissism, but I was just saying that to, to say, yeah, if you got to look at your own stuff, I think you may go outside the bounds of what people think is normal, but yes, it, it helps, you know, go back, watch the tapes, you know, listen to what you're saying. And I'm just trying to get better by, you know, repetition and some of this stuff. So we'll see what happens. 100%, 100%, man. It's kind of a cheat code if you're not using it, man. That's that's on you. Oh, you ever watch the the time trials? You know, you watch the ghosts in the racing games, and you're like, I do this every time around this corner. You know, you see what you've done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get better, right? Like, and that's where the simulation kind of helps you get a leg up. All these analytics and all that. Like, a lot, a lot of that machine learning is, is just replaying back hundreds and hundreds of games, right? And and yo, again, if you're not using those tools, you better believe someone else is, and they're going to get the leg up and they're going to get the advantage. And that, you know, I respect to each their own, but I'm taking advantage. You know what I'm saying? I love technology and I love tinkering all the time. Definitely. Yeah. All right. So what's next for the Out of Play Area podcast? I, I've, been digging, I've been digging the formula, right? Like every two weeks cadence is sustainable for me to do all the other shit I got going on. A lot of people ask me like, how do you fit that in, fit that in? And, and I, I honestly profess that I've had to sacrifice the time I'd spent playing video games and, and I've carved the chunk out of there to dedicate to podcasting. And that's worked out well because it hasn't come out of like my personal relationship or anything like that. I, I, I would love to get more out there more regularly, but I think that's what I'm going to stick with. I think that's a winning formula for consistency, right? I would always, I would always push people to be consistent, right? Like in, in this game, consistency is, is what kind of like keeps those algorithms working in your favor, right? To get your content out there. I, I, I don't know what's going to happen when the world goes back to normal and I can do face-to-face interviews. I think this is an mm. interesting evolution of the podcast, you know, as being think, able yeah. to get in a room and get around a table and, and get on that vibe. You know what I'm saying? Cause I think, I think that will naturally tend to be much more intimate, even though I feel like you're right in the room with me, Benjamin, we just airing it out. Yeah. As always, man, you know, it's, it's one of those things, you know, we didn't have to have a a prep interview or whatever. We kind of know each other. So it's and that's what this podcast, I mean, that's what I'm doing here. Mm -hmm. Um, I love what you're doing. I told you before, I think, you know, I don't know a a better game development podcast. Um, you know, I I just want you to go ahead and go ahead and print up the shirts, you know, number one game dev podcast and, you know, (laughs) I love it, man. I love your energy, Benjamin. You're always pushing me to embrace, embrace my brashness and 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 go for it, man. Because you know, young twenty-something-year-old John was all about that. Thirty-something-year-old John is, is you know, teetering a bit. You know, like trying to dance those lines of catering to as many people as possible. But 
I want to earn it, bro. I want to at least get on the chart. Like, give me some chart that shows, shows a number one. It could be 100, it could be 1,000, but I want to be able to claim, look at this chart, one, out of play area, printed the shirt, let's go. Nice. I want to, I want to get there. I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. Consistency, how many years, but I'm going to get there. That's right. Hey, man, your energy is 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 a beautiful thing. You've been pushing, keeping it going. I love your vibe. Love what you're doing with the Out of Play Area podcast. You know, I still want to hear your Kazakhstan stories from the ATX <laughs> airport code. <laughs> so we'll we'll find out about that. But that's it. That's that's all I got for now, man. Once again, yeah, you got a good number of people who came through and, and learned a lot from what you had going on. Melissa Bean, you know, Raphael's in here. Diego Nuo, Bob Ellinger, good to see you. Joff Marin's nine, Tribe Called Mel. Hey, see something, say nothing. We don't have that. You know, shout out to Howie also, the, the your dog, yeah. right? Is he back? Is he in the background? Yeah, you hear that? I hear a little bit. I hear the dog a little bit. Mailman just showed up. That's what happened. He's like, get off my lawn, man. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, I love it, man. I'll be back here as a viewer for when Raph comes on. I'm looking forward to that one later today. All right. You know, it's, it's always a question mark. No one knows what's going to happen with the discussion between me and Raph. So we'll be bomb shinobi in the house. Oh. All right, brother. All right. Sound Benja. Thank you for your time, my man. Take care. Thank you, man. We out. All right. Uh-oh. Now we're having awkwardness with the button. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, yeah, once again, that's John Diaz, a technical game designer. Full Sail, Rockstar, Amazon, Midway, Bungie. He's doing his thing. Be sure to follow him at, at his... I'll have it linked up. You should be able to find it on my profile. Also, he's running the Out of Play Area podcast, which is all about one-on-one -on -one interviews with game developers. I am on episode number two. Make sure you check that one out if you want to hear me get raw about some game development stuff. And if you're not into podcasts, you know, make sure that you download your podcast player and start getting in on that action because... That's where a lot of the goodness is. Thank you all for staying here with us. Make sure that you comment, follow along, and check out the podcast, my other podcast, Show Versus Business, if, you, if you're so inclined. I really appreciate you all. Interact, stay positive, and keep this thing going. Peace.